Welcome to The Landscape, your show about Western public lands. I'm Aaron Weiss at the Center for Western Priorities in beautiful Denver, Colorado. And I'm Kate Gretzinger in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've got a very special show for you today. This episode is one of our 30 by 30 postcards, where we tell the stories of local leaders working to conserve landscapes across the West. We will talk to two folks with the Hispanic Access Foundation about a proposed wildlife refuge southeast of Los Angeles. The proposed Western Riverside Wildlife Refuge would protect habitat for nearly 150 species, including 33 that are listed under the Endangered Species Act. It would also increase access to green space for the area's majority Latino population. That is a fitting way to start off Hispanic Heritage Month, which begins today. But before we hop into that interview, Kate, let's do the news. Well, since the last time we talked to you, the state of Utah followed through on its threat to sue the Biden administration over its restoration of Bears Ears and Grand Staircase. And Utah didn't stop there. It put out a promotional video full of lies and half-truths to justify the lawsuit. The video makes it pretty clear that Utah knew it was making an unpopular decision. And Colorado College polling numbers back that up. The State of the Rockies poll found that 66% of Utahns support Bears Ears National Monument. Still, the state is dead set on shrinking it. The lawsuit faces a major uphill battle, though, as the courts and Congress have consistently upheld the Antiquities Act over the past century. And Utah's main argument that the monuments are too big to be protected by executive authority is refuted by the fact that Teddy Roosevelt protected the Grand Canyon in 1908, and that decision stood up in court when it was challenged. If you want to know more about that history, I put up a lengthy FAQ on the Antiquities Act. We'll put a link into the show notes. As I was diving into this history, it is not just that single Supreme Court ruling from 1920 that's important that Kate mentioned. It is that full century of case law that followed. Every single time the Antiquities Act was challenged in court, it emerged stronger. And at the end of the day, the Antiquities Act is a very broad power that Congress granted to the president. Congress has considered modifying the act before. They have always left it intact. If Congress has a problem with a national monument, Congress can modify or revoke it or limit future monuments in a state. That, in fact, has happened on a handful of occasions. Most recently in 1980, Congress then confirmed President Carter's use of the Antiquities Act to protect vast swaths of Alaska, tens of millions of acres. And at the time, Congress then also said, okay, that's it, no more national monuments in Alaska. And that is why Utah's lawsuit is doomed to fail. The only ones here who are going to win in the end will be the lawyers cashing those big checks that Utah taxpayers are writing to them. Brenda Gallegos is a conservation program associate with Hispanic Access Foundation. Brenda works on public lands issues such as California's 30 by 30 initiative, the Gila, the Gila River campaign, the proposed Kastner Range National Monument, wildlife refuge expansion campaign, and other proposed public lands projects. She also is a co-leader for the 30 by 30 Equity Committee, the Latino Climate Council, and the annual Our Heritage, Our Planet Film Week. Welcome to the podcast, Brenda. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Juan Rosas currently serves as the Conservation Program Associate at the Hispanic Access Foundation. He has more than 16 years of experience as a founder and director of several nonprofits in Southern California. As a Conservation Program Associate, Juan supports Latino communities in advocating for the environmental issues that directly affect their lives. Thanks for being here, Juan. I'm humbled to be here. Thank you so much for having us. So let's start with you, Brenda. 
Brenda, tell us a little bit about the Western Riverside County Wildlife Refuge, um, sorry, the proposed refuge area. Yeah, so the proposed Western Riverside Wildlife Refuge is in Southern California and more specifically in the western portion of Riverside County. Um, so where the boundaries are, it's surrounding the city of Riverside, the city of Moreno Valley, San Jacinto, um, Paris, Hemet, and a little bit of Temecula. So it's kind of all over the place on, on the western portion of the Riverside County. Um, and it's kind of set up that way because the areas that were chosen or kind of picked out are the ones that have the possibility of becoming a wildlife refuge. Cool. Cool. Juan, you grew up in San Jacinto, just a short drive from um, parts of the refuge. Can you describe Western Riverside County, um, your community, the type of industry there, um, maybe the development? I know that's sort of a um, issue at, at play here. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm so proud of where I grew up. I, I love, I still continue to live here. It's the only place I've ever lived in my entire life. And I'm privileged to be able to have uh, my sons and daughter growing up in this area. Um, it's always been known as a farming community. Most of Western Riverside has its origins in farming. You know, Riverside has always been known for the orange groves. If you ever go out there to do some orange picking, it's it's just an incredible area. I mean, just the fragrance alone going in that area is worth it to go down to that drive. Um, where I currently live around the San Jacinto, Hemet, Paris, it's also been known as a farming community. It's always since an exception has grown potatoes and oranges and watermelon. And um, it's also been um, at one time very, very well famous and we still do have a lot of dairy farms in the area. So um, it's always been known. Um, it's always been a very Hispanic, Hemet San Jacinto Valley has always been more of a Hispanic as a lot of our Hispanic communities work in the agricultural industries. So it's just a beautiful place. Awesome. One, I, I spent some time in, in Hemet, that area, about a, a decade or so ago. And even then, I, I got the sense that this was a community that was changing as as Palm Springs comes in from, from one end and L.A. expands from the other. Give us a sense from the time you grew up to now how how the area has changed and how it's continuing to change and how that fits in to this need for, for a wildlife refuge. Yes, yes, uh, thank you. Um, when I was a kid, we would always grow up and say, this place is really boring. There's nothing to do. There's, uh, you know, the stereotypical, let's go do some cow tipping when we were kids. <laughs> like, just, there was really nothing to do. And now as I grow up, sadly, I say that I wish I miss boring. Um, a lot of the change, you know, there's always pros and cons to when there is change. And I'm not one that likes to do a lot of resist in the change. But, you know, the pros, uh, we have seen a lot of residential areas come in. We've seen a lot of industry in the surrounding cities that have brought jobs. But the con is obviously that comes with a lot of pollution. It comes with a lot of crime. It comes with a lot of our lands um, being taken up that I used to go, you know, hiking in or, you know, go go out in the pub in our public lands or public areas. Um, but now we're, we're seeing a lot of pollution. We're seeing a lot of crime activity raising up in the area, which is one of the downsides. So um, definitely having uh, the Western Riverside Wildlife Refuge near the Hemet San Jacinto area in Paris, um, it would be a huge draw uh, to our local communities that we are being 
um, basically uh, run out of room. Um, you know, when, like I said, when I grew up, there was nothing but dairy farms and, you know, and lands full of potatoes and things like that. And we've definitely seen that change. Brenda, tell us a little bit about how this proposal for the Wildlife Refuge got started. Um, So this actually goes way back into the 90s. Um, Back then in the 90s, the county decided, and and I'm guessing also the community decided to put together the Western Riverside County Multiple Species Habitat Conservation Plan, which is a very long name. Um, But in this plan, um, when they put it together, they wanted to make sure that these areas were conserved. And since also in the 90s, it was Southern California was growing. There is more people moving to California. They wanted to make sure they can conserve some of this area. And in that conservation plan, they had an agreement with the government, uh, the federal government, that in the future they would like to have a wildlife refuge. So that's kind of where it started out. And the actual starting of the, like when there was going to be put together or a proposal started about eight years ago or so. Um, the representative in the area decided to introduce legislation for it. And that's kind of where it kicked off. The Western Riverside Wildlife Refuge proposal came to us about two years ago now from someone in the community and someone that's native in California and was like, hey, this looks great. Like this is something that might be part of the mission of Hispanic Access Foundation since we represent and work for the Latino community. And this area was very heavily populated by the Latino community and other communities of color. So we decided to look into it and notice that this is something we should definitely do, especially because in this area, there are other threats to the conservation and the nature and also our Latino communities in the area. And what what are the the threats to the area now? Juan touched on the, the change that's going on, but why is there a need specifically for for land protection? Um, There's definitely several reasons, but specifically in this area, um, there are areas that do by climate change and the drought are drastically changing and that's damaging a lot of the nature out there. Um, The other one is the fact that there's a lot of warehouses being built out there. Since California is still growing, um, there's warehouses, there's a need for more jobs and such. So that is actually destroying some of the nature in that area and also depriving our communities of having that access to clean air and clean water. Hmm. Juan, you mentioned that um, this would be a big benefit to the community. Tell us how the different communities that you work with have responded to this wildlife refuge proposal. By no surprise, everyone has been extremely supportive. Um, As we know, we're being choked out in Southern California. Um, we're running out of places where we can take our kids, where we can, you know, it's all uh, industries and, and residential homes popping up, you know, the stereotypical cookie cutter homes that are just coming out everywhere. And it's, I, I, we, again, we know there's pros and cons, you know, we, we know that's pro to the economy, but at what cost? It's, it's impossible to have a thriving economy in a sick earth and a sick environment. And that's what we're seeing. And we're going to start seeing asthma rising in our communities due to pollution. We're going to start seeing depression hit because there's no places to go. We're going to see the temperatures rise here in our local areas as we're going to start seeing land and and grasslands and, and, you know, a lot of the the floral and fauna that is known of this area 
to be replaced with blacktops, and that's going to increase the temperature of our valleys. So uh, the community has been really responsive because they know they know the need for this. They know that Southern California, as it being overpopulated, we're going to need a place to breathe. We're going to need a place to put our feet in the grass and be able to go out and walk our dogs. Um, we are running out of these places, you know, as we continue to move into the digital world. Um, and me, for the longest time, I used to uh, lead a lot of youth organizations. And, um, you know, I, I had recently made a comment to some of the kids in the local community. It's like, hey, you guys are always indoor on your phones, on TikTok and Instagram. Go outside. And so they called me out. I was like, okay, well, where are you going to take us? And then when that when they said that like it really hit me it was like okay cool I'm, i said it so let's go so um a lot of the inner city kids um you know come from lower income communities and parents that are working hard that are commuting to la they're commuting to ontario and riverside to work so they're not home around their kids so um looking at the logistics on renting a bus uh, where to go where to take them yeah we have idaho we have big bear we have joshua tree we have those areas but when you have a good car. So what do you do when you have 50 kids that don't have transportation, that don't have the resources, that don't um, have good access to public transportation to these places? So um, my greatest idea was, well, let's take them to the park. And, um, you know, any gra- you know green space is a good space. So we decided to do um, like a little three-on-three basketball tournament, hang out, do a little picnic in our local park. And while we were doing that, there was a drive-by shooting. <laughs> so I here I am with 20-plus kids dropped to the ground, making sure we're not shot. So uh, I brought this up to our, our mayor here in the city and, and the importance of being able to have our public lands accessible to the, to the inner city and to be able to – this is what I love about the Western Riverside proposal uh, refuge because um, it is really literally like in – the backyard of a lot of uh, nature deprived uh, communities and a lot of the lower income communities, you know, when you think of more um, higher class communities that most of them live in the hills or they live near a lot of those, those great parks where they can literally just walk out the door and, and take their dogs walking in their, in their beautiful neighborhoods. That is not the case for a lot of our inner city kids. So, um, when, and during Latino Advocacy Week in March, we were able to take our local mayor of San Jacinto, and she was raving how great this uh, uh, this would be for our local kids and our local families. Um, here in, uh, during Latino Conservation Week, we were to take uh, Mayor Pro Tem of the city of Temecula, and he was a fan, and he, he, he gave us his verbal commitment that they would do everything possible to 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 support this. So it's been extremely responsive from the local mom, dad that just wants to see their kids be able to go mountain biking and hiking and, and, you know, go, go check out the, the, the plants and the wildlife in the immediate area, which is also being endangered. Um, so it's been nothing but support and which is good because, you know, there's always some resistance, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, we could use that to build a hotel. We can use that to, to put another factory or there's another 500 homes that can fit in that area. But um, I think even those uh, people that are in those industries are noting like, well, look, we're choking our communities out and we definitely need public lands uh, for recreation um, is as equally important than just let's, let's go make some more money. Wow. I want to jump to the question that I have a little bit farther down here, but um, 
tell me about your experiences in the refuge. Um, I know that you've both visited and Juan, you just mentioned you've taken some visitor or some, um, some folks on tours there. So tell me, um, about your experiences there, what it's like, um, what kind of plants and animals you might see there. Well, that's a fantastic question. Um, during Latino uh, Conservation Week, we did a scavenger hunt and we took uh, teenagers and kids and we gave them a checklist. And um, the people uh, that helped us organize this were so gracious and kind to kind of give us some backstory. And um, so one of the greatest um, highlights was to be able in person see the Kino Checker Spot butterfly that is an endangered species that is high on the list. And, and I remember hearing, look, 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 one of the little kids and saw it fly away was just a highlight. Uh, we do have uh, plants, you know, um, that are very just California driven in the area. Um, we all know the beautiful California poppy that blooms throughout every spring. That is just a highlight to see. And th- throughout the proposed area where we were taking kids hiking, there was a small little a group of that beautiful flower. We have the California buckwheat in the area. Uh, we have the great roadrunner that is still somewhat endangered, not necessarily an endangered list, but in the immediate area, you don't see them as frequently. We have the emphasis coyote uh, that is uh, roaming around that area. Uh, we have the white crown sparrow, the Cooper's hawk, and I can go on and on and on where people, you know, sometimes when you think about the inland desert, a lot of people think it's like, especially if you're coming from like the East Coast, the West Coast, the desert is where you're driving through to go to the beach. And people don't necessarily realize that if you want photography, if you want um, to be able to see the beautiful night skies, if you want to see the beautiful things that the desert offers or the inland desert offers, a beautiful chaparral, um, it's a place to be. So being able to firsthand see these kids like get excited where a lot of them just we're going hiking. What is this? You know, and it's like to see so much plants and, you know, the the wildlife that's in the immediate area. Um, it's just it's just, it's just a gorgeous place to be. I, I know I have a little bit of skin in the game because I am a local. But ultimately, if I wasn't, um, I definitely would see the, the, the beauty that's in this area. And Brenda, it sounds like what Juan is describing is the the, the exact illustrative case of the the nature gap and this this concept that really I think was brought to a lot of folks attention when President Biden unveiled his 30 by 30 America Beautiful initiative and one of the pillars of that is equitable access to the outdoors can you explain a bit more of of what that concept of the nature gap is and and how this project uh, fits into to addressing it. Yes, definitely. So I can backtrack a little bit on, I guess, the definition of what the nature gap is. So the nature gap is is a, an equitable distribution of nature's benefits, and is not the result of consenting choice of communities of color or low income communities to live near less nature to allow more nature destruction nearby or to give up the right to have clean air and clean water. So this has been going on for years. And having this Western Riverside Wildlife Refuge established would help close that gap, specifically the nature gap, since it is located where there is a huge amount of Latino communities, low-income communities, and other communities of color. So that would slowly start 
closing that gap and giving these communities what they need and the right to have access to nature's benefits. In terms of where this proposal stands right now, you mentioned there, there's been a bill introduced in Congress. Um, we've, we've gone over how this would obviously get to the heart of the America the Beautiful proposal and goals. So what are the the next steps, either in Congress or through Fish and Wildlife? Um, how does how does this proposal take the next step to becoming reality? Um, the next step is just to continue the support and continue to get that community support to show Congress that this is something that can, the community wants and needs. So that is why also like in collaboration with other organizations like Defenders of Wildlife, the Audubon Society and other local organizations in the area, we are putting together events and putting on sign on letters and just reaching out to our Congress members in that area and saying, hey, this is what we want. This is what we need. And this is exactly perfect for the 30 by 30 America the Beautiful initiative. So that is basically all we're doing. We also have some of our network leaders that are doing their own initiatives as well in the local area to support this uh, proposal for the wildlife refuge. Juan, um, I want to touch on this fact that you're a pastor. Um, How does that affect the way that you tell the community about this proposal? And also just how does it affect your approach to conservation in general? That's a great question, Kate. Um, I'd like to backtrack a little bit and say, you know, we live in one of the most beautiful states um, throughout the whole United States, which is California. There's nowhere else that you can literally, if you plan it out right, you can uh, wake up and Joshua Tree and watch the sunrise. If you plan it out right, you can do the an hour and a half drive and be in the Big Bear and you can be snowboarding at lunch. And if you plan it out right, you can drive down the mountain and be at the ocean at any of our beautiful beaches and surf the sunset. So that shows just the diversity of our beautiful lands. But going back as a pastor of a very low income community, a lot of those kids don't have access to that. They don't have the luxury to go snowboarding and, and, and kayaking in our oceans and to be able to go to Big Bear. So it excites me to say that in our local backyard and even working with public transportation to be able to do bus stops um, around the the near proposed boundaries um, would be gold because it's going to literally, I go back to the conversation, it's easy for us to judge our kids that you're all just on Instagram and TikTok and get outside. But my kids, where do I go that I'm safe? Where do I go that I'm safe, that I can access, you know, public uh, lands that are near my home? Um, and that is a great question that needs to be answered because our community wants that. It's not necessarily also the what I want, you know, what I think, but is what does the community say? And the community is saying that this is something we need. So um, I'm just so excited to be able to see uh, this form and, and, and start seeing the biodiversity also. When you start allowing the land to breathe, the land starts to recuperate. The land starts continuing, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the climate crisis that we're seeing um, and be able to have these public areas where even, you know, carbon sequestration can start um, coming down in in play and and allowing the land to breathe. Um, You know, I'm not an expert on, on, I'm not a biologist, I'm not a scientist, but I do listen to them. And when I've been able to focus and listen to what they say, they say even simply 10 years, just allowing the land to rest for 10 years would create a biodiversity hotspot again, where these animals can reproduce, where these 
um, flowers, you know, can continue to sprout their seeds and let the wind take it and start seeing our hills populated again with the flowers. I think I envision and I tell my community in my church, what would it be like if we were the original settlers that came into this town? What would it be also as we respect that we are also talking about sacred land where our tribal indigenous communities have lived for thousands of years and that's how God intended it to be because that's the land that God gave them? How did they see the land? And when we ask those questions and we get them to imagine how the land looked before we saw factories and smokestacks and seeing our rivers polluted and seeing areas just being choked out and we start thinking about the pollution and the homeless crisis that's going on and all these things, um, we start visioning, well, a lot of that can change because reality, you know, California is populated and it's overpopulated. But what would happen if we dreamed that we would have uh, a set place where California could just be like it originally was and allow to see the coyote chasing the roadrunner like those cartoons that we see all the time, you know, to be able to see and smell um, the, the beautiful fragrances instead of the over pollution that is happening in our inner cities. Um, when you start getting people excited and they start dreaming that that's how God intended it to be from the very inception of when he decided to create this beautiful land, um, that's what excites me. And um, obviously, it's not hard to sell because this is what we're passionate about. And this is what we actually need. All right. Well, Brenda, Juan, thank you so much for being here and telling us about this really exciting um, proposed refuge. We're going to be watching closely as it progresses. So um, thank you both. Thank you so much for having us. Fue un honor para nosotros, which means it was uh, just a great honor on our parts to be considered for this podcast. Thank you. In some good news, Interior Secretary Deb Holland visited the proposed Avikwa May National Monument in southern Nevada last week. While she was there, she met with Fort Mojave tribal leaders who have been advocating for the monument since Biden took office. The monument would protect a sacred peak called Avikwa May as well as surrounding desert tortoise as well as surrounding desert tortoise and Joshua tree habitat. We'll drop a link to a short film we made last year about Avikwa May into the show notes for you to check out. The visit is Holland's second to a proposed monument. She visited Kastner Range in El Paso a few months ago. Hopefully, we'll see some action on these two monuments, as well as Camp Hale Continental Divide soon. That's right. Secretary Holland was at Camp Hale before there was a monument proposal even last summer. And then we saw Secretary Tom Vilsack, the Agriculture Secretary at Camp Hale this summer. Uh, certainly looks like things are moving in the right direction. And fingers crossed, President Biden We'll break out his pen here, and any minute now, we will see some national monuments. That's it for the episode today. We hope you enjoyed it. If there's anything we could be doing better, let us know at podcast at westernpriorities.org. You can also find Aaron and me on Twitter. And thanks to everyone who filled out our listener survey. We're going through those responses right now. Thanks again to Juan and Brenda for taking the time to tell us about that exciting wildlife refuge proposal in California. And thank you so much for listening to The Landscape. Landscape.